0: living as those made alive in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
1: Um, Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Do keep that uh, open um, in front of you. Um, It's great to be back from... uh, my travels uh, up in Wales and thank you for praying for us uh, for the beach mission. Um, It was really great and the weather was amazing. Um, So I can tell you all about that afterwards if you'd like. Um, So let's keep our Bibles open at Colossians um, 3. I'm going to concentrate really on verses 1 to 11. this morning, Richard uh, spoke on the same passage and gave us a wonderful overview of the whole of chapter 3, and I really commend that to you if you get a chance to, to listen in, go back to that. Um, let, let's um, pray as we begin, though, let's have let's come before God. Father, we, we thank you um, for the message of Christ, the word of Christ. We pray now that it would indeed dwell in us richly and um, that the Spirit would teach us and admonish us. Uh, so, Father, we ask that you would be at work in us tonight as we engage with your words, that you might do some deep work within us, that you might bring change. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and really, um, my uh, topic tonight uh, from this passage is around change, actually, and just as we were praying the gospel changes your life it really changes your life and the good news of Jesus changes your life um, really in a, a radical way and I think this passage really highlights that in many ways I would go as far as to say if you say I believe in the gospel and your life doesn't really change in any way that people can see or that you can see over a period of time um, perhaps you haven't really grasped the gospel, um, because it is that radical. The gospel brings about radical change, and this is this, this next section of Colossians really highlights this to us. And it's going to show us um, how we change and what that's like, and how he how the gospel brings about that change. Um, but just to, first of all, let, let's. I just want to make. A statement, really, about how change is, for the Christian, inevitable. It's inevitable. Why do I say that? Well, look with me at verses 9 and 10. We're going to dot a little bit around, but verses 9 and 10. Change is inevitable. Paul says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, what's really intriguing about, um, the, these words and about the passage as a whole is just how radical the language is. You see, it's not that you put off some beliefs and some behaviors and that you put on, uh, some new ones, um, if you think about it logically in our lives, we do all do that, don't we, as we go through life? We we, we do make changes, uh, and uh, we have different thoughts and beliefs and uh, and practices. But um, we all do that. But the, what he's saying here is that your beliefs and practices have changed so much, so radically, you're actually becoming a new person. Uh, and that's much more than, than really just sort of tinkering around the edges, isn't it? You're a completely new person. And the language here is of our identity. Paul is saying the gospel brings about such radical change that you become a different person. It's there, isn't it? There's an old self and there is a new self. It's not a partly new and a partly old. It is a new self. So this isn't about a tweak here and there, to make my life a little bit better. This is the language, actually, of conversion. Sometimes um, the Bible talks about being born again, but it is the language of new birth. It's the language of conversion. Today, people don't like the language of conversion. It's not something you hear a lot about because it sounds archaic in our society. But we we need to realise, don't we, that we're all actually being converted to something or other, whether we realise it or not, whether we're conscious of it or unconscious, we are all being converted to some kind of thought or behaviour or belief. Um, You're going to be converted to something, some kind of comprehensive view of reality, whether we realise it or not, um, uh, that will contend for our very identity. Lots of language, isn't there, around identity in our society but what's it going to be for us? And of course for Christians, um, our identity should be in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel means, is about radical change. It is about conversion, it is about new life, it is about a new life, uh, rejecting an old life. Uh, And um, If you encounter the gospel, and if you encounter Jesus Christ, that change will be inevitable. It's that radical. But the question for us tonight is, how does that happen? How does that change come about? Because actually, that's probably what we want to know. How is that going to come about? And so, I think the two things from the first half of this passage that I want us to look at, and we'll kind of work bottom upwards. And the first one is what we might call about how change comes about for the Christian, is about how we dig down into who we really are. we digging down, okay? The, the second one is looking up, to give you a clue <laughs> to when we get there. But first of all, we need to do some digging around in us, don't we, to see what's going on. So if you look with me at verse 5, put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's the digging down, okay? The earthly nature. What's the earthly nature? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, and then it picks up the list, goes on in in verse 8. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying, etc. And it's not an exhaustive list. These are just examples. So, of course, you hear those lists, don't you? And you think, oh, yeah, um, I'd love to be free of all that. But guess what? They keep coming back around. Well, at least they do for me. Um, I, I suspect it's true for all of us. They keep coming back around. It's true. And so we need to just sort of pause for a moment and try and understand why. Because this is part of the digging around and digging down to understand why. And verse six is a very interesting word here where we have the translation evil desires. And of course, uh, when we hear the word evil desires, um, we tend to think that it, that is a desire for something evil. I can't say it sounds logical from the words. It, it, it's really the language is, 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 much more, um, finessed in that, in a way. So we see a list, you see, like this list that we hear. And we assume that an evil desire is uh, for for one of them. Um, We tend to think of these things as the kind of forbidden list. And of course, in many ways, they are a forbidden list. And so what we do immediately is say, these are the evil desires, and we got to seek to not do them. Um, But of course, here is a real danger for the Christian in this moment about thinking about how change comes about in us because what you can do with a list like this is you then become a kind of tick I got that one working on that one tick that one and you know what you become you become a pharisee don't you because that's what the pharisees do and actually they lived a life ticking boxes very nicely thank you very much so we need to get a little bit behind the language here evil desires are not so much and it's not that they're not talking about ordinary desires for something bad because like many of them are, but often it's actually an excessive, an excessive desire for something good. <laughs> an excessive desire can be an evil desire for something good. Something that's good that then becomes pathological, that you've got to have it. Okay? Um, so what that boils down to, evil desires are essentially to do with addiction. We're all, in some way, addicts to something. That's really what this idea of evil desires is about. And that's why you see in here um, the word idolatry. Do you notice that in verse 5? It's only attached to the word greed here in this example, which is idolatry of money. Okay? But if you go to Ephesians 5 and have a look at Ephesians 5, which I encourage you to do, you see a very similar parallel list of, uh, of forbidden things. Uh, and it's very clear there that idolatry is attached to everything. Okay, or It's there. Go and have a look. So let me put it like this. All our problems, um, all the things that are going on that we find hard... Um, this list and more, the things like malice, the things like bitterness or anger or lying or whatever it might be, every evil desire is a result of some kind of idolatry, okay, which is taking good things often and making them into the thing that you must have, making them an ultimate thing, the central thing of your life. And that is actually how the human heart Works. That's how our heart works. And if we dig around, dig down into who we are, that's ultimately what you see. Because the truth is, we all worship something. Uh, either it's God or it's something else. Something we build our identity around. Uh, how do you know? Uh, how do you know? And I know what these idols are that lead to evil desires? Well, you can ask yourself um, a couple of questions to help. First of all, ask, you the, ask yourself the idolatry question, if you like. What things, what things in your life, if you lost them or you failed to have them, or they come, somehow slipped away from you for whatever reason, recall, would, would make you to finish up saying, life is not worth living? Because those are the things that your idols, and of course it could be, could be financial status, it could be personal relationships, it could be professional identity, it could be stuff around approval, around power, around influence, a control of your life. Whatever those things are, they are, they become, if you like, your functional God with a small g. Um, and their functional savior the thing that if you took it away from, from you, you'd feel crushed, you'd feel abandoned, and you'd feel like life was not worth living for. And so there's always something uh, for us uh, that give you meaning and identity and security and hope. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's, it, it, it's a, a, a status or power. It can be all sorts of things. And if you have an excessive desire for those things... All these other evil desires then kick in. You become angry when you don't have it. You become uh, bitter if it, if it goes away and all those, so those things. So ask yourself the idolatry question. What's the things you, you worship? And then ask yourself the second question is the evil desires question. Is something you hold as, a, as that functional saviour is threatened What evil desires does it lead to? What excesses? So, for example, as I've just already said, you've made a relationship an ultimate thing in your life. That relationship ends, it finishes for whatever reasons, and suddenly it's taken away from you and you become paralyzed and you become lost. And you get angry, you become bitter, you become mad, even maybe revengeful. I don't know what what it might be. They're the evil desires that pour out of you. And so, digging around, digging down, is really important to understand how change is going to come about in us. We have to grapple with our emotions, with our feelings, why certain things bring us up and certain things bring us down, because we've made certain things into idols and other things. Uh, threaten them, we feel down. And when things are going well, we feel good. So we have to dig around to understand these things. So have we done that kind of digging around? It's quite a deep thing to do, actually, to be that self-reflective. But I think a passage like this asks us to be that kind of reflective people. Um, Until we do that, um, we're going to have all these out-of-control emotions and passions and desires and, uh, uh, and uh, addictions, effectively. Evil desires, excessive desires. So we need to do that kind of work. The gospel calls us to do this because the gospel um, is not a list of do's and don'ts, is it? But because the gospel is about making God our saviour, and our Lord, it's about making him number one, isn't it? It's about making sure he's, num- he's central, that he is the ultimate thing that we worship, that we don't worship anything else, whatever it might be, and therefore fall into evil desires. When we see this, it throws these kind of lists, I think, into a new light because we start to see ourselves and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, it's about making him the ultimate thing. And so that's why, secondly, we not only need to dig down into who we are, we also need to look up. Um, When we begin to see what's driving us and controlling us and all the idols in our lives, we need to look up. And this is what verses 1 to 4 is all about. If you look at it with me. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The thing is that the idols of our hearts can't just simply be removed. Um, they have to be replaced. That's really very important the only way to rid, be rid of the old life, the old life, is to have an explosive power that comes into your life that renews you and gives you the, the right focus. We need to set our hearts and minds on things above or to be more direct to set our hearts on someone who is Jesus Christ, to be captured, captivated by him. These verses tell us that Paul says you died Um, and then it says you have been raised Uh, and that is that is radical isn't it Um, that's no mere tinkering around the edges what is Paul saying well he's saying when you become a Christian it means God sees you as someone with Christ that he looks at you as if you died and that you've been raised with him And when you have died with Christ, it means God sees you as free from the guilt of sin. As he died on the cross and paid for it. And so therefore there's no condemnation, there's there's forgiveness. And what does raised mean? It means to be raised at the right hand, it says here. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. See, the son was sent, he came, he completed the mission that he came to on the cross and when he raises to be at the right hand when he's ascended there god the father delights and puts him right at the forefront of the highest place at the right hand side and so as you think about us as being in christ being dying and rising to him with him where are we placed then we're placed also at the the right hand side of God. Now when you start to think about that uh, and really let that sink in, it's an incredible thing, isn't it? It's actually an amazing thing to think that we're not only died with Christ but we're raised with Christ to the very highest place because of Christ, not because of us but because of Christ. And therefore God delights in you and me in the same way that he delights in Jesus. He absolutely delights in you. You are dearly loved, as it says later in the passage. What an incredible place to be at the Father's right hand. What a a sense of self-worth that should give us. What an incredible sense of approval and affirmation at the right-hand side of God, a sense of identity and belonging. What an amazing thing. But we need to look up uh, and see this, that we'll be free from the things that drive us down and fill us with worry and uncertainty, because this is the gospel, and it is the gospel that changes us. Nothing else can change us. The gospel is not that we give God a good record, that we tick off the forbidden list in the hope that God will somehow bless us, that we've kept enough of them. The gospel is that God, through Jesus Christ, gives us a perfect record. He's given you a perfect record. Jesus has ticked them all off. He's done it for you. A perfect record, and he delights in you. And as we see that, and experience that, we want to live in it. And so all those other things lose their power and influence over us. Set your heart on things above, on Jesus Christ. That's how the radical change happens. Now, it's really very important, thinking about change, that we do these two things together, that do the digging around, the rooting around in in our hearts and and our desires to understand our idolatry and our, our sinful desires. We do that digging around at the same time as looking up uh, looking to Christ to the gospel, uh, and, uh, and the reason I say this is um, and I want to, to take us to the Gospels uh, of Luke to see this a little bit more clearly and, and what Jesus was getting at in Luke eleven um, you might like to look at it up um, later in Luke eleven you remember the bit about when Jesus is being accused of of um, uh, driving out demons in the name of Beelzebub. Do you remember that bit? You know that bit where he's accused of doing that because they can't work out that could, this guy could possibly be the son of God. Anyway, he's being accused of that. And there he says something very, very interesting, which I think relates to this. He says um, there, um, it's very possible um, for you and me, in a sense, to overcome our our demons, yeah? To overcome our demons, whatever they might be. It's very possible for you you and me to cast out these evil desires, okay? Um, To get kind of some sort of self-control and put your life in order without the regenerating work of the Spirit of God, okay? Without Jesus being the center. You know, you can go to a counselor. I always got to be careful because Victoria's here. (laughs) And they will help you do some of that sort of thing, okay? Um, But you can do that sort of sorting out uh, without the work of Jesus, okay? Listen to verse 24 from Luke 11. When an evil spirit, this is Jesus speaking, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of the man is worse than the first. Now, without getting into lots of knots to end with, (laughs) what Jesus is saying here. Well, first he's saying it's possible to put your life in order. We've been talking about that, digging around, without Jesus. Do the deep analysis work of your life and your evil desires and your idolatries. You can sweep the house clean and tidy. You can get it in order, but you know the saying, a vacuum needs to be filled. You know that saying? You see, we don't just get control of our lives in an abstract. You get power to change from somewhere, some motivation. You get converted to something, as we were saying that earlier, something that dominates you, and you give yourself over to something. Something will come back in to the place that's been swept clean. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I hope... Something has to possess you in order for you to radically change in the way that the gospel would have you change. And Jesus is saying, unless it is me that comes in, you'll find yourself in a worse situation. So you can do all that kind of work like Pharisee to clean yourself and, uh, and empty things and reorder things and get self-control. But unless you have Jesus Christ come in and look up, something worse will come back in. Yeah? So what I want us to encourage, you, if we think about doing this kind of deep change in our lives, is do the deep work rooting around our evil desires and our idolatry, but we need to look up and let Jesus come into the space that is there okay we need to look to him for your life is now hidden with christ in god because without christ there'll always be something else that comes into that space and only with christ can be that lasting change that he wants to bring about in our lives god our father we we thank you for your your words tonight and we've spent just a little bit of time on it, thinking about our own hearts and our own evil desires, the things that we chase after to find approval, to find acceptance, to find identity. We pray that we do that deep work of digging around. We pray that you would help us see the places where we have a desire for something that is not you and we make it an ultimate thing we make it the thing that we have to have and yet we know that that brings around fear if we can't get it it brings bitterness if we had it and lost it it brings anger when we don't see it happen father we pray that you do that deep work but as we as we see that we pray father that you'll help us to look up and to look to Jesus the one who fills us, fills the space to bring new life, that we may be changed radically by him, that we may become people who are are patient and kind and loving and forgiving, shaped by the identity of Jesus Christ, the one who can truly change us. So we pray that you would do this work in us as we encounter the gospel As we encounter Jesus Christ, we pray that you will show us how you are changing us. Flood our hearts, we pray, by your spirit, with the good news of Jesus. For we ask in his name. Amen.